and thank you for listening to today's episode of JT Cast, the official podcast of the Journal of Athletic Training. I'm your host, Luke Donovan. For this second episode of the month, I will discuss the findings of an article from the most recent issue of JAT titled, Confidence and Knowledge of Athletic Trainers in Managing Patellofemoral Pain, authored by Ms. Erica Zambarano and colleagues from the University of Toledo, La Trobe University, University of Melbourne, and the University of Connecticut. As a reminder, the article discussed today can be found on the JAT website, natajournals.org. Please remember that all content from JAT is open access to all readers, thanks to the funding from the National Athletic Trainers Association. First step, surveying the scene. Patellofemoral pain, or PFP, is the most common form of knee pain among 18 to 40-year-olds. Individuals with PFP often experience pain during weight-bearing tasks that require knee flexion. Common sporting movements that exacerbate symptoms include running and jumping. During activities of daily living, tasks such as squatting or walking up and down stairs typically prompt symptoms. Given the commonality of the movement that prompts symptoms, it is not surprising that people with PFP often report greater disability and have reduced health-related quality of life and physical activity when compared to individuals who do not experience knee pain. Nearly 90% of individuals with PFP report that they have been experiencing knee pain for greater than 16 years after receiving the diagnosis. Given the commonly reported long-term health outcomes, it seems that there is a disconnect between research evidence and real-world management of PFP. Currently, there are three consensus statements from the International Patellofemoral Research Network, a position statement from the National Athletic Trainers Association, and a clinical practice guideline from the American Physical Therapy Association, where each of these documents describe best practices for preventing, diagnosing, and managing patellofemoral pain. Despite the existence of these various statements, and further supporting the notion that a gap between evidence and practice exists, and possibly explaining the poor long-term outcomes, a study found that only 24% of physiotherapists reported that they provided evidence-based treatments to people with patellofemoral pain. Like physiotherapists, athletic trainers commonly evaluate and treat patients with PFP. However, the degree to which their management of PFP aligns with current recommendations is unknown. Identifying potential gaps between evidence and practice within the field of athletic training could help shape future professional development initiatives and education strategies specific to PFP. Therefore, the purpose of the study was to evaluate athletic trainers' confidence and knowledge of PFP diagnosis, treatment, risk factors, and prognosis. The authors completed a cross-sectional study in which an online survey was distributed to 3,000 random athletic trainers. The survey was divided into four sections and contained both Likert-based and open-ended questions. All Likert questions had five possible responses, ranging from strongly agree to strongly disagree. The sections were participant demographics, confidence in the management of PFP, knowledge related to PFP, and current treatment strategies. For the knowledge section, there were four subcategories, which were knowledge of diagnosis, knowledge of risk factors, knowledge of prognosis, and knowledge of treatment. Here are the results. A total of 291 individuals participated, which generated 261 completed surveys. 91% of the participants strongly agreed or agreed that their management of PFP aligned with the current evidence. 
However, only 59% of respondents were confident identifying PFP risk factors, and most did not accurately identify risk factors aside from quadriceps weakness. Current experience treating patients with PFP or having a history of PFP themselves improved their confidence in managing the condition, whereas years being certified did not influence any measure of confidence. Specific to knowledge of evidence-based practice treatment for PFP, over 93% of athletic trainers strongly agreed or agreed that exercise therapy can improve pain and function that combine hip and knee exercises are preferable to knee exercises alone. However, nearly 50% supported the use of passive treatments that do not align with current evidence. These passive treatments include electrical stimulation, joint mobilizations, and ultrasound. In summary, the study found that most athletic trainers were confident in their knowledge of and skills for managing patients with PFP and demonstrated evidence-based knowledge of exercise-focused treatment of PFP. However, when it came to PFP passive treatments, risk factors, and prognosis, athletic trainers' confidence and knowledge were much more varied. Some of the discrepancies between treatment versus risk factors could have resulted from hip strengthening exercises being recommended to improve pain and function, which may have led athletic trainers to believe that hip strength is also an associated risk factor for PFP, where in reality, among the general population, hip strength was not prospectively been shown to predict individuals who may develop PFP. These findings of this study do indicate a need for further education to better align athletic trainers' knowledge with the current evidence related to PFP. In addition to presenting the results of the study, the authors do include summaries of the current evidence specific to evaluation, treatment, risk factors, and prognosis of PFP within the figures and appendices. I'm also going to take a moment to read through the current evidence. These statements are directly from the aforementioned consensus and position statements. I do want to note that there are some areas where little studies exist and therefore some of these statements may change as future research is completed. First section, Diagnosis and Evaluation. PFP expert consensus defines PFP as pain around or behind the patella which is aggravated by activities that load the patellofemoral joint. The cornerstone of PFP diagnosis is clinical evaluation and imaging does not improve diagnosis. The patellar grind and apprehension tests have limited diagnosis accuracy for PFP. Knee crepitus, tenderness, or patellar facet palpation and small effusion are not essential for the PFP diagnosis. Knee crepitus does not seem to be related to self-reported pain or function or with other objective function measures. Next section, treatment and management. Repetitive out-of-plane motions from the hip and knee lead to increased stress on the patellofemoral joint. Exercise therapy is related to greater pain reduction in the short term and at the 12-month than placebo or control interventions. Exercise therapy is related to greater improvements in function at 12 months than placebo or control. Combined programs are related to greater improvements in function in the long term compared to knee exercise programs alone. Combined hip and knee exercises are recommended to decrease pain compared to knee exercises alone. A combined approach allows the practitioner to address a number of contributing factors, but it is important to individualize the treatments. 
Exercises for power are not contraindicated as all deficits should be addressed. Knee arthroscopy is, better than conser- is no better than conservative treatment. Auditory and visual feedback improves movement patterns, pain, and function. Adolescents with PFP report large improvements in knee pain and function following activity modification and load management. There is no current evidence that electrophysical agents have any benefit beyond that of exercise therapy alone. There is individual variability to the benefit of foot orthoses. It is important to identify those likely to benefit using specific clinical features. Patellar taping may provide immediate pain reduction, making it useful to combine with exercise therapy. Taping should be individualized to the patient. Limited evidence indicates ultrasound is not effective, and many experts agree that ultrasound should not be used in the treatment of PFP. Joint mobilizations provide no additional benefit to exercise therapy for PFP. Multiple position and consensus aims for the management of PFP are available open access. Evidence-based educational leaflets are also available on educational websites and are open access as well. Patient education should include load management, weight management, understanding the value of treatment, and fear avoidance. Here is the risk factor section. Decreased flexibility of the hamstrings and gastrocnemius muscles has been suggested in PFP cohorts, but has not been evaluated as a risk factor. Increased dynamic knee valgus during a jumping task is not a risk factor. Increased hip adduction and knee internal rotation in females and knee flexion and hip external rotation in males increases PFP risk. Foot pronation is reported in PFP, but is not a risk factor of for PFP. BMI is not a risk factor for PFP. Isometric hip abduction is not a PFP risk factor in the general population. However, greater hip abduction strength is a PFP risk factor in adolescents. Isokinetic quadricep weakness is a risk factor, but isometric quadricep weakness is not a PFP risk factor. Q angle is not a risk factor for PFP. Age is not a risk factor for PFP. Sex is not a risk factor, but greater proportions of women have been found in PFP cohort studies. And finally, the prognosis section. Worse subjective function at baseline is related to worse long-term outcomes. Longer duration of symptoms predicts worse pain five to eight years after treatment. Greater than 50% of patients with PFP report notable symptoms five to eight years after treatment. PFP in adolescents and adults is not self-limiting as patients report persistent pain years after diagnosis. Individuals with PFP take fewer steps per day and participate in less moderate to high activity compared with healthy individuals. Patients with PFP experience loss of self-identity, pain-related confusion and fear avoidance beliefs, and inappropriate coping strategies. Structural abnormalities found using imaging are not associated with PFP in most cases. Older adults may show features of osteoarthritis. Surgical intervention may be necessary, but should only be considered after conservative treatment. 
Well, that's it for today's JT Cast. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, and Stitcher. You can find out more information about upcoming podcasts and other JT events on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts at JT underscore NATA. Thank you for listening and keep a lookout for next month's JT Cast. Thank you.